0: Alright, like Chad said, Acts chapter 4, we're going to end up in Acts chapter 4, but it's going to take us a few minutes to get there, but we will end up there. Uh, We're in the middle of a 15-week series on the Holy Spirit, if you didn't know, if you've been gone. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into it. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your family as your sons and daughters. Lord, thank you that it's your desire to give us the fullness of who you are. And thank you that you know exactly what we need this morning. So we ask, Lord, that you would um, come and move in our lives exactly like you know that we need. You know what we need before we even ask, and so... We just ask that you would come and do your will. We ask, like Jesus told us to pray, Father, that you would let your kingdom come and your will would be done. in this place in our lives, at Reality Ventura, in our cities, in our families, our friendships, just like it is in heaven. We open our ears, our minds, our hearts now to hear what the Spirit would say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, you guys good? You awake? All right, cool. Um, Like I said, we are in the middle of a 15-week series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. If you have missed any of the last few weeks, um, you can catch up on those by just going to com and clicking on sermons, and then you'll see the the Holy Spirit topics there. Week one was an introduction. Week two, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. Week three, we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in the in the Trinity, in our lives. And then last week we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We talked about the difference between the inexperience and the upon experience, and how it, as much as it is necessary to have the Holy Spirit in us to become a Christian, it is necessary to have the Holy Spirit come upon us and fill us up to the point of overflowing in order to give us power That we might live as Christians. And you may remember if you were here last week, just by a show of hands, how many were here last week? I know it's Father's Day, so maybe a bunch weren't here. But I attempted last week to illustrate this idea of the baptism with the Holy Spirit versus the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with an analogy about the Flintstones. And about their car. We talked about how when you are born again, it's like God gives you the car and puts you in the car. And you're on the right path, right? You're going to glory. You're going to get there. But until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's like you have no engine in the car. You're still in the car. You're still going to the right place. You're still going to get there. But just like the Flintstones with their feet sticking out of the bottom and working really hard. You know, I, I did this last week, right? Like you're just working really hard. Unlike the Flintstones, though, you're going probably very slow, and you're probably going to get very tired. This is not the way that God intended it to be. God intended us to have an engine in the car. When the Spirit of God comes upon us and fills us up, it is like God putting an engine in the car. This is how we are intended to get from point A to point B in the kingdom of God. Excuse me. And while we can have barriers up that might prevent us from receiving this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every follower of Jesus. So when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are at that moment filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like God, like I said, puts an engine in our car and the engine comes with a full tank of gas. But just like a car engine, the tank needs to be topped off from time to time, and this is what the Bible would refer to as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is our topic today, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I said this last week, but some of these topics during this series might seem a little bit more like academic, and they might be a little bit more academic than maybe some of us are used to. But like I said last week, it is Good and right for us to both experience, worship, understand God with our hearts in an experiential knowledge way. But it's also right and good for us to understand and know him and experience him with our minds. Right? The heart and the mind. So track with me. Track with me as we're like learning these things. It's right to know who God is, how he works in our lives with our minds and our hearts. So as it pertains to being filled with the Holy Spirit, here's the questions that I think we should be asking today. There's four of them. Number one, we should be asking, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Number two, is it necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Number three, what happens as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? And lastly, how, if at all then, do we participate in being filled with the Holy Spirit? And over the course of the next 40 minutes we're going to look at several different passages of Scripture and scenarios where we see people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we do, let's keep these four questions as kind of a backdrop to what we are reading. As we go along, we should be able to answer these questions. I'd like to temporarily skip question number one and come back to it later uh, and start by looking at questions two and three, but I promise we'll come back to question number one. Let's begin by looking at the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 3, it'll be up on the screen, we see Jesus come to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist, water baptism by John the Baptist. And he is, after he is baptized, it says in Luke 3.22 that the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. We, we looked at this last week. And then the Father speaks from heaven. He says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, etc. So then Jesus, under the approval of, love and blessing of the Father, he then goes out, and it tells us immediately after this in Luke 4, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Satan comes and tempts him in three distinct different ways. And by the power of the Spirit, Jesus resists the temptation with the power and the word of God. He refutes the lies of the enemy. And then in Luke four fourteen, it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. And it was at this time it says that Jesus began performing many signs and wonders and miracles. This is when the ministry of Jesus, so to speak, began. After the spirit descended upon him and he was full of the holy spirit. Now we're told regarding Jesus as it pertains to Jesus and the spirit in John 3:34 that Jesus was given the spirit without measure. And in John 1.32, that the Spirit descended upon Jesus and then remained upon Jesus. We are given the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was filled with. But it does not appear that the Spirit is given to us without measure. Nor does it appear that the, the, Spirit, is re, re, uh, the Spirit remains upon us as, it, as the Spirit remained upon Jesus and that's why we're spending this entire Sunday to talk about this topic being filled with the Holy Spirit because we are told expressly in scripture as we'll see in a moment that we need to be repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit maybe it's because Jesus was without sin and we still have sin for natures I don't know but the Bible instructs us to be continually filled as we'll see in a minute with the Holy Spirit. Once again, not a perfect analogy, but we are baptized with the Holy Spirit once. And it's like at that moment, God puts an engine in our car, and the engine comes with a full tank of gas, but the gas tank needs to be repeatedly filled. The filling of the Spirit is not a one time event, as we will see today, but an ongoing event that happens over and over in the life of the believer. It is critical. Let's see this explicitly in Ephesians chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, and he says it so clearly, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled. This is what we want to look at. But be filled. Be filled. It's just one word in the Greek. Be filled. It's just one verb. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's take a minute here to just break down this word, because this is kind of the crux of everything that we're talking about today. So it's crucial that we understand what's really being said here. When Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, in order for us to understand and grasp what exactly is being said, we have to understand the mechanics behind this word, behind this verb. Specifically, we need to know the tense of the verb. We need to know the mood of the verb, and we need to know the voice of the verb. In this case, the verb, be filled, is in the imperative mood, which means that it is a command. We get that from the English, right? That that translates well in the English. He's like, be filled. Right? He's telling you, do something. It is a command. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what we don't get, because we're not reading in Greek, is that this verb is also in the passive voice, which means that it is something that is done to us. The filling comes from an outside source. So we're commanded, do this. And yet, the action of the verb comes from an outside source. And it is in the present tense, which means that it is ongoing. We are to continually be being, literally, that's how it would read, continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So literally translated, this passage would say, do not be drunk with wine, but be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit, which happens to you by an outside source. In other words, this is something that should repeatedly be being done to the Christian by God. And yet, we are commanded to pursue it and continually pursue it. Every Christian is called to be being continually filled with the Spirit by God. You may have disagreed with last week's theological perspective, that there is a second experience of the, of the Spirit for the believer in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's fine. Many do. It's not something that we would ever divide over as Christians. But in some ways, it's a moot point. Because the end result is the same. The baptism of the Holy Spirit causes us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And every believer is commanded to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. We could disagree on timing or terminology, but the end goal is the same. As a point of nuance, we would say that uh, we would generally use the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit as the first time that a believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the subsequent fillings, so to speak, we would refer to as uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Regardless, you cannot, should not attempt to live and follow Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from being full of the Holy Spirit. And we for sure do need to repeatedly, continually, frequently be filled with the Holy Spirit as Paul commands us what we just saw in Ephesians chapter 5. So the Bible says it, right? The Bible says it. He commands it here. So is it necessary? The second question, is it necessary? Let's put the questions up. First question was, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Secondly, is it necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes, if you want to walk in all that God has for you and your life. yes. If you want to walk, that is live, experience all, not just part of, not just a little bit, but all that God, not you, not your plans, not like, I think this would be cool, all that God has for you in your life. Listen, I want to know God, and I want to be known by God, right? That is part, that is part of it, And much of my spiritual life is consumed with this intimacy with God. But if that was my only purpose, then I wouldn't still be here. God would take me home because in heaven, I can experience more intimacy and relationship with him. But the reason I am still here is to, from that place of relationship and intimacy, then make him known. I I want people to know God and be known by God even as I know God and am known by him. It is the Spirit's indwelling us that causes us to become Christians and initially now come into that relationship and intimacy with Him. But it is His coming upon us by the filling of the Spirit that enables us to make Him known. I want all that God has for me. I want to know Him fully. I want to be known by Him fully. And I want to make Him known fully. And this comes by a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, It is necessary. And we are not filled, listen, we're not filled with the Spirit just for filling's sake. Just like you don't put in a gas, you don't fill up a tank of gas in a car just to like leave it in your driveway. Right? You do it to drive the thing. God gives us His Spirit that His purpose might be fulfilled in and through us. Let's see this now illustrated in the book of Acts chapter 4. You should be there already. Start there and then we'll move around a little bit in Acts. So in Acts chapter 4, Pentecost has already happened, right? It happened back in chapter 2. We saw that last week. Again, you should go listen to that online if you haven't yet. Peter and the rest of the gang have received the baptism of the Spirit. And at that moment, they have been filled with the Holy Spirit. But what we will see in a minute is that Peter is being filled again. A subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? Peter... Preach the gospel. 3,000 were saved in Acts 2. And then Peter and John, they go out in Acts chapter 3, and they see this lame man sitting there. And in the name of Jesus, they tell him to get up and walk. The dude starts dancing. All these people are tripping out. They're seeing, like, wait, dude, this dude has been lame. He has not been able to walk his entire life. And now he's dancing. People are beginning to gather around because they saw this guy healed. And so then Peter starts preaching again. And then the trouble is going to start coming. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, or came up to them, sorry, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, imagine this, and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. We're talking like, imagine me right now, I'm I'm preaching, I'm telling the good news of Jesus, right? And like authorities just come in, grab hold of me, and like take me out. And all the people are just left there. Like, what just happened to Peter? Right? He's arrested. But many of those, it continues on, but many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. This is a big deal. This is the same group of people that was responsible for crucifying Jesus. Peter is in big trouble with big power people. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, literally in the Greek, having just been filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, how's Peter right now? He's so bold. Remember, like pre Pentecost Peter? This is a different dude. This is post Pentecost Peter. This dude is full of the Holy Spirit. He goes on, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone, Jesus, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders. But which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. What we see here is Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter had already been filled with the Holy Spirit when the Spirit came upon him and the others in Acts chapter 2. But here it literally says, and Peter, being filled right then is is how it reads. Literally, having just been filled at that moment with the Holy Spirit. This is a subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, what we saw was a corporate filling. And here, this is an individual filling filling. The Spirit came upon Peter. And why, or the the Spirit filled Peter, and why was Peter filled with the Spirit? Well, there was a need in Peter's life and in the kingdom. God doesn't just, like I said, God doesn't just give us his Spirit for kicks. There was always a purpose. In this case, Peter had a need, and the need was to be faithful to Christ in the midst of trouble. And we've all been there, right? Or we will be there Well, we are in the midst of trouble. Trouble comes, and there is a need for us to respond in a way that is faithful to Christ. Peter was faced with this need, and God gave him what he needed at that moment. And as he filled him with the Spirit, it resulted in power, boldness, and Christ-likeness. I want to point out one thing from this passage that could be glossed over, this this Christ-likeness part of this passage. Look at verse 13 there. It says now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. This is a supernatural power and Christ resemblance is what's happening here. Before Pentecost, Peter was only recognized as having been with Jesus because his accent was the same as that of Jesus. But now, there was something so like the quality of Christ. They observed, it says, the confidence of Peter. Literally, it could be translated, the the boldness of Peter. And began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. There was something about Peter that was reminiscent of Jesus here. It was a character thing. The character of Christ was coming through Peter by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit manifests a Christ-like atmosphere in his people. This is what the Spirit does. Remember, one of the three objectives that we've been framing the work and person of the Holy Spirit with is that the Holy Spirit, one of his objectives, is that everything he does, he does to exalt Christ. And that is exactly what we see happening. The character of Christ is shining through these uneducated, untrained unpolished, imperfect followers of Jesus as they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's part of what the Spirit does. He manifests Christ-like qualities in us. And he also provides, as we saw in this, whatever is needed for that moment. The Holy Spirit gave Peter exactly what he needed at the exact moment. So this is the effect of a repeated, subsequent, fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Is it necessary? That was that that question we looked at, right? Question number two. Is it necessary to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit? Yes, if you want to experience and walk in all that God has for your life. Let's see another example of people being subsequently filled with the Spirit. A few verses later in Acts chapter 4. So after this incident with Peter uh, and John, where the the guy's healed, right? And then they, they get arrested. They are reprimanded at which time, they're told to not speak about Jesus anymore, and full of the Holy Spirit, they're like, sorry, dude, like, we're going to speak about Jesus, like, sorry, Jesus healed this guy, we're going to tell everybody about him, and so finally, they're released by these authorities, they're released, and now they're gathered together with a bunch of believers, right, they're kind of coming back home, it's like, dude, that was gnarly, I was just in jail, I was being yelled at, I like, I told them, no, we're going to keep preaching, like, and then so they come back to, like, their, their friends, right, back to the church, they're gathered together, and they're at really like a prayer meeting here in Acts chapter 4. And they can, they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. They continue praying in Acts 4, 29. And they're praying. They say, Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant, this is their prayer, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. This now is a subsequent corporate filling of the Holy Spirit. The church is together and they are in need, they are desperate, they're most likely afraid. And what we see here is a corporate filling. Now, they were already filled back in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And now in Acts chapter 4, some of them are together again, and it says in verse 21 that the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And why were they filled with the Spirit? Once again, there was a need in their life and in the kingdom. In this case, the need was for perseverance in the midst of persecution. It's getting hot in Jerusalem for Christians. This is... No doubt, scary stuff here. They needed power beyond themselves. They needed power beyond themselves. The need for power, for perseverance in the midst of persecution. And we should get this. I mean, I know that we are not under threat of our lives because we follow Jesus, but you will be persecuted because you believe the right thing or you speak about the right thing. And in the coming years, it's only going to get hotter. In America, you're only going to be persecuted more, and we will need endurance to walk in the light of Jesus, to walk in the love of Jesus, and to walk in the truth of Jesus. And for the early church here, there was also a need for great endurance in the midst of persecution. And they were, when the Spirit comes, given everything they needed and more to to persevere. Check it out; it keeps going on. Keep reading in uh, verse 32. Says, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. Look at this, this is so beautiful. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them. And bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful? Like, Lord, do this in your people. Do this in your people. They were filled with the, res- the Holy Spirit and the results, boldness. Faithful witness, but unity and power and grace and selflessness and generosity. Man, this is what God has for us. Is it necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes, if you want to walk in all that God has for your life and live beyond whatever you can, whatever I can muster up by my own strength. As an aside here, did you notice the thrust of their prayer. Did you notice the thrust of their prayer? I mean, they're in this like scary, being persecuted place. But notice that their prayer is not for uh, deliverance. It is for preservation. I'm sorry. It is for perseverance in the midst of persecution. It's not for preservation or protection from the opposition. It is for God to sustain them and for boldness in the midst of opposition. Opposition. Far too often, man, I'm just going to be honest, my prayer is, Lord, deliver me from this thing. Deliver me from the opposition. Lord, heal my, my body or my heart. Lord, heal this thing. Lord, remove that difficult person. Remove that difficult situation from my life. Lord, deliver me from this scary situation. That I, Lord, protect my kids. Like, that's a big one, right? Lord, protect my kids from any kind of danger. But the kinds of prayers that we see coming from them would be like, Lord, give me endurance in the midst of the trial. Lord, make me more like you in the midst of the difficult relationship. Lord, let my kids see you and know you if danger comes to them. Right? Remember, it was in the midst of the fire, the furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw the Son of God Clearer than they ever had before. We must not make the mistake of thinking that God's best is always to deliver us from hard stuff. Sometimes the most loving thing God will do is allow us to go through the hard stuff and reveal himself to us in the midst of it. The early church knew something about this, and that's why they prayed like they did, and we, can, we should learn from that. It's like uh, the other part of that passage in Ephesians chapter five. It says, do not be drunk With wine, but we fill with the Holy Spirit. There's this thing called happy hour, right? Why is it called happy hour? Because alcohol makes you happy. But why do you need to be happy? Because the world and what happens in our lives brings us down. And so we want something to try to bring us back up. We want to medicate in some way, and alcohol can make us happy. But Paul is saying, when life gets hard, and it will, don't get drunk with wine but instead be filled with the Spirit. There is a prescription here that is better than wine. It is being filled with the Spirit. Now turn over to uh, Acts chapter 13. So in Acts 13, Paul is confronted with a man who's being used as a tool of Satan. A man who is maybe even demonized or what is commonly Known as being demon possessed, he is confronted with demonic opposition, spiritual warfare in a really tangible, heavy way here. And it says in Acts thirteen nine, then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, literally again having just been filled at that moment with the Spirit, looked intently at this guy and said, "O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil!" You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind. (laughs) So heavy. You shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell upon him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Once again, Paul had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw that back in Acts chapter 9. But now this is another example of a repeated subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul was in need of something that could only be given from God. He needed, in this case, authority and victory in spiritual opposition and warfare. Man, we should get this. We're going to experience this kind of stuff, guys, in our lives. We're following Jesus. You're going to experience spiritual opposition. You might come across people who have demons. There might be some weird demonic thing that comes over your family or your kids where they're just getting, like, attacked. We need this. And the results here is the enemy is exposed, Confronted and his plans were thwarted, and people were saved. So, what we see happening here in the book of Acts, in these passages we just read, as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, there is boldness, there is Christ likeness, there is faithful witness, unity, there is grace, there is selflessness, there is generosity. And there is authority and victory in spiritual warfare, whatever the church needed, and more. One last, exa- last example from Acts uh, is in Acts chapter 7, if you want to turn there, with Stephen. So in Acts 6 and 7, we see that Stephen is a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he is performing great wonders and signs among the people. And some religious leaders, they get angry. And, dude, this is real stuff. It's like how it went down, um, and... They're like, dude, we're going to kill this guy. We're killing this guy. We have the authority to do so, and we are going to kill this guy. We're talking about martyrdom now. This is a real thing that was happening in the early church, Christians being murdered for their faith and bold witness of Jesus. And this is the kind of stuff that we even see happening with our brothers and sisters in places that are very hostile to the gospel right now. So Stephen, he's about to be martyred for his faith. Stephen is in need of what? Supernatural peace in the midst of of suffering, supernatural peace in the midst of suffering. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're at the the door of death or not, if you're being yelled at or persecuted or not. We have often, some of us right now at this moment, have a need for supernatural peace, like supernatural calm in the midst of our suffering, whatever that may be. And it says in Acts 7, starting in verse 54, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can you just imagine the scene? Like this dude's about to be killed. But do you see the like calm coming over this? Like he's seeing God and it's just this like, I could, I, the way that I, I imagine him just like, Whoa, are you guys seeing this? Son of God standing next, right? Like, it's this, like, man, this peace is coming over him. Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, look at this, look at this. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, in the midst of great suffering, being punished for doing nothing wrong, full of the Holy Spirit, he has given these results. Supernatural peace, strength, and grace for those who deserve judgment. Woo! Whew! I need that last one a lot of times, man. Like people who are just like deserving of judgment, as these people were. They deserve judgment from God, and yet he was given this grace, crying out to God, Lord, don't charge them for their sin. So in all of these examples and acts, though the immediate need varied, The end result is actually the same. In every case, it really boiled down to, if we were to like make it like broad picture, it really boiled down to us seeing as a result the exaltation of Jesus, right? People are being pointed to Jesus. People are being saved by Jesus. People are being healed by Jesus. Jesus is being proclaimed. And then we see a deeper level of sanctification of the church. They're being made more like Jesus. They're being sanctified unto God for God's purpose. And then from that place, we see this faithful engagement in mission. So here's the deal. If we are actively pursuing Jesus and looking to engage in what he's doing around us, then we are going to face stuff like this. We are going to face stuff like this, which means that we are going to need the power of the Spirit in our lives. Listen, I need Victory over, in spiritual warfare. I need comfort and supernatural peace in suffering. We need perseverance in the midst of persecution. Boldness and faithfulness and being on and in mission. I need grace for those who don't deserve it around me. I need selflessness. God, I want to walk in selflessness and generosity like these people. And this is what comes From being full of the Holy Spirit. Listen, every Christian is called to live life on mission. Where you are, as you are, with who you are with. Doing what you do. Among who you know. And that's really what this is about. Yeah, it is about us knowing him first, like we talked about a minute ago. For sure, we can't do ministry or minister to people without knowing God. Don't even try. But the reason we're still here is to make him known. This isn't about us having power. God doesn't give us his spirit so that we can have power. This isn't about us being faithful. Like, dude, look how faithful and strong I was. It is about him being made known. It is about him being made known. And when he is made known, that is when humanity then finds everything they need. It is in him that they were going to find joy They're going to find peace that surpasses knowledge. They're going to find hope that is beyond this world. They're going to find love that they never knew existed. They're going to find life and abundant life. It is all found in him. What we see in these stories is that when the Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to see, think, act, and live like God does. And God, in all that he is, starts moving through them. And people start experiencing God as they're filled with the Spirit. Spirit's moving through them. They're starting to experience the things of God, which is peace and joy and love and all of those things. They, as they're filled, get more of God. And then the world around them gets more of God, which is exactly the world needs. I love what Wayne Grudem says, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the immediate presence of God himself, and it therefore will result in feeling what God feels, desiring what God desires, doing what God wants, speaking by God's power, praying and ministering in God's strength, and knowing with the knowledge which God himself gives. But the work of the Spirit doesn't stop there. To mention a few things, like Titus 3.5 says that we are also renewed by the Holy Spirit. We are renewed by the Spirit and the power of sin is broken. This happens at salvation. 2 Corinthians says that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ by the Spirit. That means you, gotta, you, you, don't, you can stop trying so hard. It is a work that is done by the Spirit. Second Thessalonians and 1 Peter says that sanctification come by the power of the Spirit. It is by the Spirit that we are able to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It is by the, the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who supplies strength for us to resist our sin and our sinful natures. This is God's work through His Holy Spirit. Acts 6 and Acts 11, we see that the Spirit produces in us lasting character. You don't have to try to muster that up or just like, I'm just going to be like this. The Spirit does that in us. The implications of Ephesians 5 are that being filled with the Holy Spirit produces in us worship, gratitude, humility, healthy relationships, and good work. And then Galatians 5 says that godly fruit, stuff like love and patience, and gentleness come by the Spirit. So back to our list of questions here, these four questions. Number one, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Is it necessary to be filled, filled with the Spirit? Yes, if you want to walk in all that God has for your life. But this third question, what happens as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? We just saw all this stuff. Power. Boldness. These are the things that happen. Christ-likeness. Unity. Grace, generosity, selflessness, authority and victory in spiritual opposition and warfare, supernatural peace, strength and grace in suffering, intimacy with God, fruitful mission, breaking of sin's power, growth in holiness, transformation to be made more like Jesus, lasting character, healthy relationship, hearts of worship, gratitude and humility. Those are just some of the things we see. It's just, that's what, the, that's what they needed. What happens as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Or more succinctly said, if we were to boil it down, we'd say this. What happens as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we experience Christ being more exalted in and through our lives. And we experience sanctification to God and intimacy with God. We are brought into that Trinitarian love that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from that place... We experience everything that we need to engage in the mission of Christ. This is what happens as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is knowing God and making Him known. And to do that in the way that we were intended to, we must be continually filled with the Holy Spirit as we're seeing in Scripture. And the fourth question here, put this all up on the screen is how, if at all, then, do we participate in being filled with the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 5 says it's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just say, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's something that happens to you from an outside source, and yet you are commanded to participate in it and be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. How, then, do we participate in this being filled with the Spirit? Well, at a first read in the book of Acts in these stories, it almost appears that, like, they didn't participate at all. There was no participation. But there is actually a backdrop to everything that is happening that I believe is key to knowing how we participate in this. And the backdrop is this. I'm going I'm to tell you the answer to this, and then we're going to just, like, put some meat on it. The way that we participate is by humbling ourselves, surrendering, and asking. The way that we participate in being filled with the Holy Spirit is h- by humbling ourselves, surrendering, and asking. We humble ourselves. First Peter 5 says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We see with the life of Paul that he was humbled by God, but he also humbled himself before God. Like we see in First Timothy, as he's acknowledging, dude, I'm the basest of all basest. I'm the worst of all sinners, to humble yourself in many ways is exactly opposite of being self-reliant. That's what it means to humble ourselves. It is recognizing our depravity before God and our desperation for God. It's like, a, it's like this. It's like a, God, I can't do anything apart from you. You Know and have everything that I need. Lord, I, I need you. I, I, I can't do this. And not just in the, the situations where like the whole world would say I can't do this, but Lord, I can't, I, I can't be a husband without you. Not just in the hard times, but in the good times. Lord, I need you. Lord, I can't do anything without you. This is humility and this is the kind of participation that is involved in being continually filled with the Spirit. And it is self-reliance and pride that can often barrier the Spirit's work in our lives. Secondly, it's surrender. Our participation means surrendering. What we see in the life of the early church is a willingness to surrender. We see this constant surrendering to God, His plan, and His purpose. And it seems that this then is an open door to the Spirit working and moving in our lives. But the opposite is true as well. There is something about being unwilling to give up control that puts up a wall to God moving freely in our lives. When we begin to depend on the flesh, whatever our natural inclination is, uh, we, we will start drifting toward pride, if that's your natural inclination, or control, or being judgmental, or being stingy or worrying, or legalism, or being self-conscious, or our own insecurities, or fears. When we do that, it's like a a barrier to God moving fully in our lives. These things can act almost like a dam preventing the full waters of God's Spirit flowing. But what we see in the life of the disciples is that they had given all this up. They had given all this up, which is exactly what Jesus said needed to happen if you were going to follow Him. Paul says it like this, I count all things as rubbish, literally dung. I count all, all all the stuff, the good stuff, the okay stuff. My life is like dung. I'm giving it all up. I'm surrendering to God and God's plan. And in doing so, Paul and the early church began to align their hearts then. Their, na- their hearts were just naturally beginning to be aligned with God. And the Spirit then came in power. We've mentioned this over and over, but everything the Holy Spirit does is to exalt Jesus, sanctify us unto God and his purposes, and engage us in mission. And when we surrender, humble ourselves, and become willing for our lives to be about those same things, then you can be sure that God is going to fill you to the point of overflowing and give you everything you need to walk in that. Experiencing the fullness of God's power in and through our lives Come when we humble, comes when we humble ourselves and surrender. When we recognize our need for God, surrender to His plan and His purpose, and allow our desires to fall in line with God's, then we should expect to see the fullness of God's power resting upon us and working through us. But until then, we should not expect anything more than a very natural, very mundane, average human experience. The last way we participate is that we participate by asking. Once we recognize that we need God... And that we're missing out on all that God has for us by trying to keep control and by being self-reliant. Then we come to God and we ask. Jesus said regarding the, the Holy Spirit, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, and you're going to receive. So we come to God and say, Lord, I, I, I can't do this. I need you. I surrender to your plan. My life, Lord, is yours. I, you know best. Lord, you know what is best. You know what I need. I want to be about your plan. Fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Give me everything I need to know you deeply and to make you known. It's one of the greatest or the most common prayers I pray in my life. Lord, fill me. Lord, I need you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's not about me trying to figure out with ingenuity, like, okay, I can do this. I can figure this out. It's like me surrendering and saying, Lord, you know, let you do your thing through me. So, how do we participate? In this work of being filled with the Holy Spirit, we participate by humbling ourselves, surrendering, and asking. I'm going to take three minutes and address that first question. Put it back up here, this list of questions. I said we'd come back to this first one. The first one is, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We should kind of get this by now. I want to simplify it by saying this. To be filled with the Holy Spirit then means that we are full of God himself and everything that comes with that. Isn't that good? It's not good God wants to give us more of himself and to continually be filled, which is what we're commanded to do, means that God is giving us more and more of himself, more of everything that he is. Think about what God is. Who God is, that means the power, the authority, grace, love, strength, compassion, creativity, rest, peace. All of that is who He is and all of that flows from who God is and to continually be filled, be being filled with the Holy Spirit is to get more of God and all that He is in us and through us. And when we get more of God, then our hearts... Our emotions, our, our thoughts, our wills, our lives start to align with His. Then our identities start to like come into alignment with who we really are. We are brought into a deeper place of intimacy. We, we know Him deeper. We are made more like Him. But this does beg the question, and maybe you've been asking it for the last, you know, 45 minutes but wait, when I was saved, when I was born again, didn't God give me all of Himself then? Is there like some part that God didn't give me that I don't get until I'm filled afresh with the Holy Spirit? Why do I need to be refilled? Why was the early church who already had been filled initially filled again, refilled with the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. God gave you all of Himself when you were born again. And the answer is yes, there is more. It is a yes. And we are given all of God when we are born again, and yet God is a never-ending spring that we will be drinking of for all of eternity. When we are born again, we are plunged into the ocean that is God. We are in Him. But His depth and breadth and width have no end, and there will always be more. When we are filled with the Spirit again and again, it is like God plunging us into more of himself, whatever is needed at that moment. We saw that today in these passages. There was power that was beyond ourselves. There was perseverance, Christ-like aroma, grace, all of this stuff, whatever they needed. The truth is, we are given all of that stuff immediately when we are born again. It is all a reality. And yet, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like our eyes are opened afresh to see those things more clearly. And we experience walking in them more clearly. Maybe, some of us, for the first time ever. And we have a renewed confidence to understand and walk in what is true about God and what is true about us in God. And from that place, you can now hear Paul saying to the church in Ephesus, which is the passage we started with, Guys, In light of this, in light of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that God is going to give you himself in light of this. Hey, I'm commanding you, be filled. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You be filled with the Spirit. If you need the filling of the Spirit today, as we pray right now, maybe just lift your hands up like this. Lord... We are in desperate need of your spirit. Lord, I don't want my life to just be about my stuff and my plan, my things, my agendas. Gosh, Lord, the only hope I have is in you. The only life we have found, Lord. The only comfort that doesn't go away is found in you. It's what, it's what we know. It's why we're sitting here today. It's why we follow you. Lord, we want the world to know that. We want the world to know all of you, and we want to know more of you. But Lord, we need the Spirit moving in and through our lives. So we ask, Holy Spirit, would you just fill us afresh right now? We humble ourselves recognizing that we're in desperate need of you. We surrender and lay down control and surrender to your plan, your purpose. Come, Lord. In our lives, even at this moment, move now.